I don't think there is a single one of you listening who doesn't want healthy, fulfilling relationships in your lives, be they romantic or parental or platonic. If that's you, I've got just the book you need to add to cart right now. That book is Making Great Relationships, Simple Practices for Solving Conflicts, Building Connection, and Fostering Love by Dr. Rick Hansen. It is out as of January 17th, and I think this episode is going to go down as one of my all-time favorites and maybe one of the most powerful episodes we've ever done on the show. And we've had quite a few powerful episodes, if I do say so myself. Since Dr. Hansen and I recorded this episode on December 14th of last year, my relationships across the board have become better in those four and a half weeks. As you'll hear, Dr. Hansen and I go into a brief mini therapy session, if you will, surrounding my need for reassurance, specifically around abandonment, which can be traced for me back to a familial childhood hurt that I am working through more every day. I am a pretty private person by nature. I would rather be asking the questions than answering them. So this episode and being so vulnerable makes me, to be quite honest with you, incredibly uncomfortable. But if it can help even one of you feel seen and heard, I consider it incredibly worth any uncomfortableness I might have. Vulnerability, truth, honesty, and being raw and real with each other is the only way we grow. And I hope this episode means as much to you to hear as it meant to me to record. The goal here is for great relationships, both with the self and with others. And this book can be a force to help you get there. The truth, relationships take work. You likely already know this, but the work is worth it. So let me tell you a bit about our guest today. Dr. Hansen is a psychologist, a senior fellow of UC Berkeley's Greater Good Science Center and a New York Times bestselling author. He is a summa cum laude graduate of UCLA and the founder of the Wellspring Institute for Neuroscience and Contemplative Wisdom. He has been an invited speaker at NASA, Oxford, Stanford, Harvard, and other major universities. Plus he's just a really good person. And he's been married for over 40 years, so he knows what he's talking about. I hope you take as much away from this conversation as I did. Take a listen. Dr. Hansen, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here and have this great talk about relationships, which is a topic that affects us all. So thank you for being here today. It's an honor, Rachel. And I just love even the title of your show because it's so true to me. You know, I'd rather be reading, right? Yes. Uh, and um, reading saved me as a kid. It yep. was a refuge of sanity. And yep. so now as an author, uh, it's just been a delight to be able to, you know, offer whatever I can, message in a bottle, right, out into well, the world. You've offered a lot in this book. This book is my new, I just told you offline, it's my new, like, bedside table, read it daily for more tips on how to have better relationships, romantic with the self otherwise. And we've got so much to talk about. And I'm, I'm like you, I'd rather be reading. I, when I titled this show, I very much mean that I can't think of many things I'd rather be doing than reading. So here we are. So let's start with the opening pages of the book. So I love to quote authors to authors. So you write most of our joys and most of our sorrows come from our connections with other people. Just about everyone wants to be in healthy, fulfilling relationships, but 
how to actually do this at home and at work with friends and relatives, with people you like, and perhaps some you don't, how can you handle conflicts, repair misunderstandings, get treated better, deepen a romantic partnership? This is quite the laundry list, Dr. Hansen. Be at peace <laughs> with others and give the love that you have in your heart. This is That's the end of your quote. So whew, I'm exhausted just reading that, but your book actually answers how to do this. So yep. this is a tough, tough topic. So why choose to, first of all, write about relationships and why do relationships matter so much? I know we can answer that logically, but I want to hear it from the expert here. So why, why write about relationships and why do relationships matter? Wow. That's such a deep question. Honestly, it's yeah, like a lot I of have really no deep... softballs for you. We're coming up. <laughs> You're going for it. Um, well, first of all, People vary, you know, I'm kind of an introvert, sort of shy by nature. And, um, you know, other people are much more, you know, extroverted, gregarious, but as human beings, we evolved to be the most profoundly relational species on the planet. Mm -hmm. We really are. And what that means is we are enormously affected by our relationships and we are enormously healed and helped by what we do ourselves in our relationships. Mm -hmm. So when I, as I'm, I'm a longtime therapist, almost every problem that bring that brought people to me had to do with relationships mm -hmm. as a child, when they were young, maybe, or in their current situation or frustrations with people at work or romantically roommates and so forth. Uh, relationships wear us down. And so for me, the takeaway, which is what is central in the book, and I love that you zeroed in on it, is that we have a power. Most people feel basically helpless in their relationships mm -hmm. or numb or just sort of pushed along by it. Like they're in a river willy nilly, just they are what they are. Right. And a lot of us have forgotten that we have a sacred power to make our relationships a little better every day with what we think and say, we mm -hmm. really do have that power. Yeah. And that's why that word making, you know, is in, yes. is in the title. People pushed back a little bit like, Hey, isn't that really kind of a, guy thing, you know, we're going to make something. And I thought, well, hmm, a lot of people who identify as girls and women make things, hello. But yeah. beyond that, it's the idea that we have a power to construct, to shift, to influence our relationships in a better direction. And what I zeroed in on is the how of actually doing that, which yes. we're not usually taught. And yet when you know what to say next, or how to get out of a sticky conversation mm -hmm. or how to work inside your mind to release resentments or things you ruminate about or old wounds, mm -hmm. or you learn how to see the, the, the inner being or the good in others, even if they're aggravating, which makes it easier to deal with the aggravations. Mm -hmm. You know, when you know how to do those things, gosh, it just makes you so much happier. And yeah. honestly, you're a lot easier to be with, with other, by other people who then often will start to treat you better as a result as well. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the book is 305 pages. And I know this because I just looked at it again today. And I feel like on almost every page, there is a how, uh, literally, literally, you put how, <laughs> like you, yeah. cannot, you can't miss this. It, it literally says how. No excuses <laughs> now after you've read the book. Right? Yes, you introduce the concept and then it says how and how yep, to do that's this. Exactly right. So I, I mean, you just cannot, it's foolproof. So I want to park on something that you just said for a moment. So, you know, you said it, making great relationships can sometimes seem overwhelming after all, right? When there are any yeah, people involved, sure. let alone more 
more than one challenges ensue. But you write, and this is what you just said, but I want to take it from the book too. You write good news. Thousands of scientific studies show that relationships are not given. They are made, hence making great relationships. So back to you, this gives us the power to make them better. So that's what I felt when I read this book was it was empowering. It gave me the power back because it gave me tools and practices to improve my relationship. So how can we harness that power? Because so very often we, we don't harness that power. Right, right. Well, two parts to it. First part is we have limited influence over other people. You've probably noticed that, right? Yeah. And oh, we, I've we noticed do, that. Trust me. Yeah. Darn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if only they would change for the better. Yeah. Gosh, no, you have no idea. Many... But yes, I, I've noticed that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's important to do what we can, you know, to ask for things that we need to, you know, and there's a lot in the book that's about just dealing with fights, dealing with quarrels, dealing mm-hmm. with conflicts uh, in really practical and effective ways that that have dignity in them and you're you can be strong in them and you can actually maximize your odds of shifting people in a better direction okay fine but meanwhile whatever they do you have the power inside yourself to feel better about it over time so i kind of want to stress that point mm-hmm. and then you really named it there's kind of a joke weird it's it's actually quite profound so i'll ask you hey rachel how many therapists does it take to change a light bulb how many only one, but the light bulb has to want to change. <laughs> that is, you know, actually both my parents are therapists. So I, I find all <laughs> therapy jokes very, and I am a proponent of therapy myself and a proud practitioner yeah. of it, but that's, yeah, that's hilarious. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's stupid and profound. So there's, True. that's why I think maybe the first or second chapter in the whole book is get on, on your own side, befriending mm-hmm. yourself. Um, and the way to start is to realize, of course, inside your bones that you do matter. And for a lot of people, that's not that clear. They're, they're, they're clear that other people matter. They are clear that they should take care of other people and see the good in other people and treat them with kindness and fairness, but they don't treat themselves with kindness and fairness and they uh, don't yes. get on their own side. Yeah, they're not for themselves. Yes. It doesn't mean being against others, but be for yourselves. You have to start there. You have to ignite the pilot light and not just assume that it's already lit. So there's a one or two chapters in the very beginning are really about feeling that, you know, you deserve to be happy just simply by virtue of being human, that your inner world matters and you can bring a kind of both tender compassion to yourself and a bit of a muscular firmness to support yourself with other people. So that's mm-hmm. certainly where it starts, because if you don't have that pilot like going, then you cannot, you know, ignite the whole stove or something like that. I love that. And, you know, you're right. The first part of the book does talk at length about the relationship with the self, which I think right. and I don't think you would disagree with me is is our most important relationship and really the basis for all of our other relationships with others. And again, yeah. love quoting you to you. So forgive me as I do Go it again. It. but. It, you say it usually takes a good deal of time to change the world around you. Inner change can happen a lot faster. So true. I mean, I could spend my whole life trying to change somebody else, but but neglect to change myself, yeah. which I, I have for so in so many instances. 
back to you. You can take the steps that are within your own power to heal old wounds. Yes. That is so critical for me personally to find support and happiness in your relationships as they are. Yes. And to make them even better. So we hear this so much. It has become cliche, but why does the relationship with the self really matter so much? Why is it so critical? Oh yeah. Well, just pragmatically, wherever you go, there you are. Right. Always. Yeah. Can't escape and, yourself. Yeah. And we carry with our we carry with us the residues of the experiences we've had. So if a person understandably has had painful experiences as a child or as an adult, if they've been mistreated, sometimes systemically, uh, based on structural factors in society, uh, for whatever reason, understandably, we carry those with us, like for myself, frankly. Um, I had decent loving parents, but they were pretty poor at empathy. Mm -hmm. So I didn't feel really seen as a kid, even though I'm introverted. Um, you know, everybody needs to feel like, oh, they get me. Oh, mm -hmm. I exist for them. I always felt like my parents, they were looking at somebody else when they were talking to me. Mm -hmm. And then also I skipped a grade. I have a very late birthday. I was very young going through school and um, I felt like an outsider, like the runt of the litter, as my dad mm -hmm. put it, who grew up on a ranch. And mm -hmm. nobody wanted me. I was left out. I wasn't abused. I wasn't traumatized. But there's a lot of suffering when we don't get enough of the of what we naturally need. So I went into a, you know college at 16, and I was still young. At and 16? Felt, wow, you yeah. were not kidding. Okay. Yeah, I, had a, I felt like I had a huge hole in my heart, a huge mm -hmm. hole in my heart. And then gradually, I stumbled on the fact that if I just slowed it down, when other people in very normal ways in college, let's say, were including me or waved me over to have lunch with them, or a girl would smile at me in the elevator. Oh my God, uh, two girls smiled at me today. <laughs> oh my God, you know, slow it down, fill that hole in my heart. And gradually I learned that in these simple ways that were under my control, I could make great relationships with myself yeah. and also with the world around me. Cause as I began to fill that hole in my heart, then I would feel calmer. I would be less of a total dork, you know, <laughs> I had a lot to learn. Um, and I, you know, I would be more able to weather little disappointments, little bumps and bruises. Cause I would feel full inside already. You know, mm -hmm. it's like when we feel like That's we're running right. on yes. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, Oprah says this all the time and the Jerry Maguire quote, you complete me is just ruined women and men too. I'm sure for, because yeah. you have to come to the table. And again, this is, I'm not the expert here on relationships. Yeah. God knows I'm not, but you know, you have to, what I do know is this, you have to come to the table as a fully complete person. You can't expect someone else to complete you. And yeah. so that's why the relationship with the self matters is you have to come into this fully formed. Mm. And I want to park on something that you said that I wasn't planning on talking about, but I think so many of us think like in your, in your instance, it doesn't seem like there was any egregious abuse or mm -hmm. big T trauma in your childhood, which, you know, great on you. But I think sometimes we feel that um, maybe our li little T trauma for lack of a better term, doesn't count because it wasn't the big T trauma, right. but it does. And, yeah. and like, even, you know, micro microaggressions, micro traumas, uh, it, you don't, and, and, and I am yeah. so empathetic for those that have had what I'm referring to here as big teacher, like abuse and neglect, yeah, yeah, but, but those, those smaller traumas matter as well. And so I don't think that we should brush them under the rug and say, well, just because it wasn't this bad, 
it, it doesn't mean yeah. that it doesn't matter. And so I just, you know, it, it all matters. It all shapes right. who we are and it all deserves to be dealt with. I'm the same way. I, you know, I, I don't have big T trauma from my childhood, but just like everyone else, I have things I need to work through from mm-hmm. my childhood. And I just want listeners to hear that that counts as well. Um, it does, you know, it, it all, yeah. it all helps us become better versions of ourselves. That's why I'm such a therapy proponent is because, ah. you know, I work, I work out stuff from my childhood all the time. And, yeah. you know, it, one of the things from my childhood that I work out a lot is that I'm not, I'm not very compassionate to myself. Um, mm. I really never have been. I think, you know, I think if you ask anybody that knows me, they would say I'm one of the nicest, most compassionate people they've ever met to them, but that's mm. not the way I treat myself. And so yeah. why is it so easy, Dr. Hansen, or maybe it's just me, but I, I seriously doubt it to be compassionate to others, but it's not always so easy to be compassionate to ourselves. If I treated you or any of my friends, the way I treat myself, sometimes I don't think I would have friends. And so, you know, why is it so difficult? You talk about this in the book, we hold ourselves to a different standard than we hold Mm. everybody else. Yeah. One reason for that is that as we go through the years, we internalize what other people say and do to us. Mm -hmm. And the brain has a negativity bias that makes it like Velcro for good experience, pardon me, Velcro for bad experiences and Mm -hmm. Teflon for good ones. And so we could get 10 words of praise, one word of criticism, it's that one word of criticism that the brain literally turns into neural structure and sucks into us. So as we grow up, we tend to over-internalize criticism, shaming, rejection, you're not good enough. I don't like you. You know, the cool the cool kids at the head table don't let you sit with them. We take that stuff in. And then, sadly, we do it to ourselves. Yes. We treat ourselves in the negatively reinforced ways that we got treated just in the course of life with or without major trauma. And yeah. so that's part one. Part two, I think there's a lot of cultural sort of messages, especially for certain groups, such as, frankly, girls and women, that it's important to take care of others. It's important to be nurturing, kind, pro-social toward others. Eh, yourself? Eh, you get to sit, you know, at the back of the table. Yeah. Uh, And so it can feel almost shameful or vain or sinful to be kind to yourself. Yes. And honestly, one of the things that's been really helpful for me um, has just been to develop this fundamental encouragement inside. I like that word encouragement. In other mm-hmm. words, we, we need to guide ourselves, but we don't need to destroy ourselves. We don't need to criticize and tear ourselves down. We can guide ourselves and build ourselves up to a higher road. And the feeling of guiding encouraging, being like a warm, caring coach who helps us do better next time. That's totally different than having some kind of harsh and hateful and mean inner critic pounding on you and pushing Mm -hmm. on you and tearing you down every step of the way. Sometimes people think that if they, you know, disengage from that inner critic, they'll lose their edge, right? Right. if you're not miserable, you're not trying hard enough. You know, and right. no, so much research shows that peak performers over the long haul have an attitude of kindness and encouragement toward mm-hmm. themselves rather than harsh self-criticism. Yeah. So, oh, so good. So good. Um, 
we could do like a 15 part series on this because relationships are just so critically important to life, the self yeah. and, and others. So, okay. We're improving the relationship with the self. Now let's move into our relationship with others. I do want to point out that you do practice what you preach. I, you threw this in there very casually in the book, but it's not, it's worth noting that mm. you are um, one half of a 40 year plus marriage, which is yeah. so rare these days. And it obviously shows that the work is working because here you are in, in a 40 year plus marriage. So, um, I just want to point that out. Cause it, it, I think, you know, I, when, when I see people like me, I'll never write a relationships book because I just, I, I, I need to learn, not teach. We'll just put it uh, that way. But you know, you're, you, you're walking the walk every day. So I like this concept that you lay out in the book about green zone and red zone. Uh, I am, I am adopting this in my life. Uh, since I read the book a week or so ago. So can you, on a high level, listeners, you'll have to buy the book to get the full details, but on a high level, can you talk us through green zone and red zone? You bet. So, and I first have to say, I, I got lucky, you know, I married an amazing person, uh, my wife, Jan. And so I think there's a, well, she married an amazing person too. And it's, and we'll talk about this in a minute. You got lucky. Yes. You picked the right person. Awesome. But it still takes work. It doesn't just, you know, it's not, it's not a a, a machine that runs on its own. You know, it's, it takes effort. So give yourself some credit there. Oh, you're totally right. And just to kind of preview, I'm sure where we're going to go repair. In other words, rust never sleeps, right? Yeah, uh, there yeah, are always yeah. things that, that tear us apart from each other, that, that f- you know, fray the fabric of a relationship. So we mm-hmm. need to keep repairing. We need to keep mending. Always. Yeah, exactly. Um, gosh, so the green zone and the red zone. Well, that's my shorthand for saying what we all know. In other words, something happens. All right. How do we deal with it? Do we react by with fight, flight, freeze, you know, with anger, with being mad at ourselves, with obsessing about what happened, that's the red zone. Mm-hmm. And we evolved as animals to be able to go red briefly. But Mother Nature's plan is, as the saying puts it, all episodes of stress in the wild end quickly, one way or another. Mm-hmm. Right? In yeah. other words, we, we evolved um, to have brief bursts at most of red zone stress. But unfortunately, modern life and with our big modern brain that can obsess about things for days after you've left that weird meeting with your coworker who said that stupid thing to you, right? Mm-hmm. But you're still hurt by it and angry about it days later. We marinate in sort of the pink zone or even sometimes, frankly, the red zone, which has lots of negative consequences, including for your physical health and even longevity. That's mm-hmm. the red zone. On the other hand, it's possible to grow the green zone inside yourself so that when the same thing happens in they they say that nasty crummy thing to you all right or um you know you're yeah let's just say that so they say that nasty crummy thing to you maybe instead of getting really upset about it for you know a minute or two you feel sort of hurt and irritated but then very quickly you start establishing yourself you start coming home to a familiar place of calm strength, of knowing you're loved, of knowing that you have a good heart, of knowing that um, you really did not do anything wrong. You did mm-hmm. not deserve what that mean person said. Um, you can start to form a kind of a plan. Okay, what am I going to do about it? Which might mean let it go, might mean look for another job, might mean um, you know never do a project with that person again, whatever mm-hmm. it might mean. 
you're in the green zone about it. And that's critically important to realize. Life is challenging. I'm not talking about positive thinking. Um, I'm, I believe in realistic thinking. I'm not talking about, you know, sitting by the beach all day long, sipping a Mai Tai. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but mm-hmm. it might get boring after a while. I'm talking about the real world. How do we deal with challenges? And there's a lot of brain science and what's called positive neuroplasticity that I go into mm-hmm. in the book briefly mm-hmm. and practically that points out how you can gradually build up an inner shock absorber. You can build up um, an inner garden of positive emotions and skills of various kinds and feelings in your body and ways of knowing yourself so that that's your home base. Yes. Other people might bump you. They might kind of knock you off your, your home base for just a minute or two or three, but you come home again really quickly. Yes. And that's the value of knowing what your own green zone is and how to keep growing it inside yourself, fundamentally hardwired into your own brain. Do you know another practice from the book that I have really been adopting that helps me stay in the green zone is right. yeah. y- you say in the book to, for us to say, you're all right, right now. Yeah. And I say those four words a hundred times a day. Now you're all right, right now, because if I get triggered about something and you know, want to get upset, I usually, I'm not, I'm not usually one that's prone to anger. I'm usually uh prone to sadness and, you know, other emotions. So I don't really, I don't really fly off the handle with, with anger, but it's, it's just like the anxiety for me. Yeah. And we'll talk about that in a second with turbochargers, which I'm really excited to talk about, but you know, just those four words are so grounding for me. And I learned that from your book, you're all right, right now. And, you know, I mean, at the, va- at the bare minimum, I have my basic needs met. I'm fed, I'm clothed, I'm sheltered, yeah, you know, right. you're all right, right now. And anything else is, is figure outable, but the book talks about, I mean, just so much, the power of empathy, how to take things less personally. But I, I found this pa- passage so powerful. It's about turbochargers. So yeah. consider the life that you've had, especially your childhood and so much, right? Dr. Hansel, like you're the pro here. So much of this all routes back to our childhoods, right? So much of it. Yeah. So much. Yeah. And, and anyway, back to you and what has been threatening, scary, even traumatic about it. How have you learned to deal with threats and manage anxiety? These lessons might've been helpful at the time, but now they're lodged in the body. Like like I could cry about that because so many of my coping mechanisms from childhood worked at the time, but they no longer serve me at 36 years old. So you say they're lodged in the body, like turbochargers, distorting your perceptions, speeding up and tilting your emotions and driving your impulses and actions. Take a little time to make a list of your own turbochargers. And as you become more aware of them, they'll have less power over you. And I, and I have done this practical exercise as well. And, you know, it's just, there's so much that, that worked maybe at a certain time in my life that no longer serves me and I want to give them less power. So can you give an example of a turbocharger and how we can lessen a turbocharger's grip over us? Oh, that's beautiful. Well, for example, like many people, let's suppose that Growing up, high school, junior high school, um, other people rejected you mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Cliques, um, they rejected you. And now, 10, 20 years later, you're working for Marie Claire, right? Or some yeah. major magazine, some superstar kind of situation. Oh, gosh. No, not hardly, but thank you for that. Okay, but yeah. And still, then let's suppose that somebody disses you in some way. 
Um, it could be inadvertent. They just, you know, mm -hmm. rush ahead of you through a door and you don't understand why, or maybe they make some snarky comment. Okay. On the zero to 10 crud scale, it's a one, but it hits your brain, which mm -hmm. has a lot of uh, learned, um, stored residues inside of emotion and reactivity and hurt mm -hmm. and a sense in your body. Uh, the memory, really, the emotional memory of all those experiences that happened again and again mm. in eighth grade, right? So what actually is a one on the yuck scale hits that turbocharger and suddenly you're a six or a seven on the upset yes. scale. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Just like that. So, so it's right. really helpful over time is to be able to name it to tame it, as the saying puts it, where you know what your turbocharger is. Um, initially, it often happens in retrospect. You you realize, you know, an hour later, you're still fuming over that, you know, minor thing the person did or said. And you look back and you go, oh, that's just like eighth grade. Oh, yep. that's like my critical stepfather. Oh, that was that jerk of a piano teacher. Oh, you know, increasingly, though, totally. you start moving into real time. Yeah. That's so powerful because because it doesn't often like let's just take it in the con in the context of a romantic relationship. Yeah. Something that is a one on the yuck mm -hmm. scale, as you put it, um, could be turbocharged to me up to an eight. But my my partner does not understand yeah. why, for example, something that was so benign, a one yeah. has Minor, suddenly yeah. has suddenly made this reaction in me of an eight. But you know, he may not know the history, a history, the, the turbocharger. And so it's just so important to know what knowledge is power all across the board, to know what those triggers are so that you can say, okay, wait a minute. This is, this is turbocharging right now. It's not that big of a deal. Step away from it and green zone it. I'm like using your yep. terms all over the place. And, yeah. and, you know, it just, yes. I mean, it's, it's so true. And, you know, for me, I've struggled with anxiety for most of my life. It's such mm. a negative force in relationships and, yeah. you know, fear can be very damaging, but on the flip side of that, you write, notice how you can be more relaxed, patient, open, and caring with other people when you are not afraid. And I am finally in a relationship where I, there's full trust. And that's yeah. really, to be honest with you, something that I've never had in a romantic relationship before. Sadly, I'm 36 mm. years old and I'm only now experiencing full trust in a relationship and I'm not afraid anymore. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just am wondering, cause I, I, it took me a long time in five years of therapy to get here and many broken relationships to get to where I am today. But what are some ways that we can be less anxious in relationships or, or said another way? I know that mm. attachment styles are very popular, move towards a more secure attachment mm. style. And, and I think maybe, you know, understanding those turbochargers is, is a huge way to help in that. Don't you think? Oh, you just hundred yeah, percent. And I feel for you, Rachel, I'm just thinking here and I want to, you know, really say it for the record. I've done hundreds of interviews over uh -huh. the last, you know, 15 years related to different books and so forth. This is absolutely one of the very best ones I've ever done. Oh my you. gosh. We're all, we're only about halfway through. So I hope you feel that way at the end. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Yeah. It's Thank okay. So now much. it's a high bar, right? The well, pressure's on. Because it matters so much to me, you know, and that's why yeah. I only have people on the show that I care about the topic and the book. Yeah. And, and that I really love the book because, you know, uh -huh. I hope you can tell that it, it resonated with me. Yeah. Yeah. 
And and I just want to say it about you, you know. So well, thank one you. thing one thing we could do is partly, and I, I did this both sincerely, but now that I think about it, um, it's really important to take in reassurance. When it's oh my gosh, now, Dr. Hanson, reassurance is my Achilles heel in romantic relationships. It is it is truly something that I really struggle. Like I need too much of it. And so go for it. Please tell well, me. So, so okay. So if it's okay, we're going to do like two minutes of, you know, uh, friendly therapy here. Oh God, please do as, as long as you want. Okay. <laughs> Love okay, it. Okay. Always take free therapy. Okay. So this is really useful. Reassurance is way underrated. Reassurance and relief. Okay. And comfort mm -hmm. really underrated. So the first question is uh, three questions, basically. Do you recognize reassurance or the basis for reassurance when it's happening? Can you recognize good facts that are reassuring? Generally, yes. Okay. So let's say in your relationships, you're recognizing the fact. You're not psychotic. You're not deluded. Your eyes mm -hmm. are open. You're, mm -hmm. you know, you're recognizing the fact, oh, my partner um, does care about me. Yeah. Or that thing that my partner did that really bugged me, it was actually an accident. He wasn't mean. Mm -hmm. And he recognizes he did it and he don't, he he doesn't want to do it again reassurance many mm -hmm. many kinds of reassurance a lot of it is very simple you know he, you just feel cozy together there you are sitting watching some dumb tv show oh mm -hmm. it's nice Re so you recognize the fact here's the second question um recognizing the good fact do you feel anything good yes for a moment but this is the problem is that it's like mm -hmm it's an addiction to reassurance and it's addiction like any other addiction the high wears off and i need another hit of it again yeah exactly okay great this is really insightful rachel now we have the third question which is the money question it's mm -hmm. the money question first having recognized the fact the good fact and second having enabled yourself to have a good experience of the good fact third can you take in the good experience can you this is where I struggle. This is yeah, where I struggle. Can you stay with it mm -hmm. for a breath, opening to it in your body, feeling almost like a sponge in which you're letting this good thing come into yourself? Mm -hmm. can you I can that? let it come in. Mm -hmm. It has trouble staying. It's like I need a reminder of it. I mean, we're getting more personal on this show than maybe I've ever been. And we've been very personal on this show with me before, yeah. but, but I think, you know, I, I'm not, I know I'm not the only person that oh, no. struggles with this. And so, you know, for me, it's, I, I love, like, it's just, again, it's just like a dopamine hit. It, it, it works for a while, for a day, a week, maybe a month. I don't know. It's never, yeah. never that long, a week max. Um, but then it's, you know, then I, I need, I need that reassurance hit again. And well, if, I, if I could say this, sure. um, first, uh, we we need ongoing reassurance mm -hmm. in our important relationships. And, um, you know, I'm a introverted, successful guy. I need reassurance several times a day that my wife of 40 years still cares about me. Well, that makes and me feel that's better. That's just huge. Yeah, it's okay. human. So, so, and, and honestly, uh, it's okay to kind of call other people to a certain reasonable standard, you know, including maybe your partner, just that it's, there's a place for offering that kind of support and kindness and reassurance, part one. Part two, very often, when you really burrow into it, people are not sustaining the useful experience for more than a second or two. 
And often it's purely conceptual, in fact. They're actually not feeling, in this case, reassured in an emotional sense, in a body sense, because we're really talking here about the importance of body memories, mm-hmm. you know, the somatic qualities, the sensations, the feeling of warmth in your heart, the easing in your belly, the softening in your eyes, uh, the throat softening, all these aspects of uh, sustaining an embodied experience of, let's say, reassurance for more than two or three seconds in a row, mm-hmm. part one. Part two, often there's a little voice in the background of doubt that's afraid to let it in. That's because, it, yep. yep. And that doubting voice disrupts the formation of a positive emotional memory. Very important. Mm-hmm. So it's getting on top of that doubt and realizing that it's lying to you. It's not true and it's not helping. And then a a third thing to be aware of is what I call um, the tip of the root. In other words, we can guide useful experiences like reassurance to sink down into the younger layers of ourself. Because if it just sits on the surface, um, it doesn't address the deep feelings of insecurity Mm -hmm. and and maybe inadequacy and other things and mm-hmm. hurt and unfulfilled longing in relationships. Because that's where it all comes from, right? It's childhood for me, you know. There's very often. Familiar, yeah. I mean, I will not. I don't want to get into this on the air, but like familial yeah. situations yeah. that this isn't in a vacuum. This, I mean, there is a reason why I, why I am concerned about abandonment. And so, you know, and you can put the context clues together. You're, you're a brilliant man, but I mean, it's not, it's so deeply rooted that Mm -hmm. to think that, you know, just, this is not going to be band-aided and fixed in, in a, a short amount of time. You know, this is, this is something I'll probably be working on for the rest of my life, you know? Well, what's hopeful, and I, I really appreciate you being, you know, talking. And honestly, I've had really similar issues in a yeah. kind of a slightly different form. But one of the things, again, I think it's so useful to use something concrete, reassurance. So now a person actually is, let's suppose, you know, uh, sort of marinating in an, an actual experience of reassurance um, that's probably fairly mild and ordinary, but still real, okay? Mm-hmm. You're in that experience. What Then you can do what I call linking, where in effect, you have a sense of the beneficial experience in relationships, connecting with old pain or an old hollow place inside that um, may not have been wounded, but was neglected and did not mm-hmm. get enough of what's good. And so in your brain, if you're aware of both of them at the same time, the positive of reassurance in this example being big with the old feeling of an emptiness inside or an abandonment or the Mm -hmm. little boy or little girl who for whatever reason did not get enough of what they actually needed. Yes. If you're aware of both of those at the same time, essentially what starts to happen since in the saying neurons that fire together, wire together, the positive experience of reassurance will then connect with that old empty place inside or that old hurting place inside and gradually soothe it and mm-hmm. ease it and actually change it over time so that ultimately you become free of those old feelings of abandonment. You know, you I look remember, so forward to that day. You will remember the events, you will know the events, but they won't have this charge. They won't capture you anymore. And this is hardcore neuropsychology. 
yeah. and hardcore direct experience of including myself. No, this is life-changing stuff. I mean, this is this is this is the kind of stuff that saves relationships. This is the kind of work that save that it's it's so life-changing and meaningful. And thank you for that. I mean, I wish you lived in Al- had an Alabama license. I would hire you. <laughs> oh, I, I know I've right retired from that. But um, it's, it's human. It's human. Yes, we're all in this yes. together. Do you have a belly button? I have a belly button. I, I do. I we all, do. We're all in trouble, right? And these yeah. are methods. And I go through them in the book in really direct, practical ways, like I did with you here, to your credit. Uh, yes. And, and that's, I mean, I think you just sold like a bajillion copies of your book. If I have a bajillion audience, audience base. <laughs> you're but kind. Just, yes. You. That is like, that's, that's why everyone should buy this book is because all of this stuff is, is in this book. And shockingly, we are going over so many concepts. I'm, I feel like I'm not even scratching the surface of all that's in the book, but we, we touched on this a minute ago and you made, you just yeah. made me feel very validated when you said, you know, you you are a man who, you know, yeah. not to gender stereotype, but we don't yeah. think of men as typically needing as much reassurance as maybe a woman does. Yeah. You are also in a 40 year marriage. So obviously there's um, major yeah. you know, duration there already established, mm-hmm. but you said you still need reassurance in your relationships. Yes. And that makes me feel very validated and heard. So, you know, I, I think there's a fallacy out there that if the relationship is the quote unquote right relationship. So, you know, at this point we've long established you're in the right relationship, but it still takes work. And I think so many people think, okay, well, if it's the right relationship, it's not going to take work, but that's not true. And anybody logically knows that. So relationships with the, other, and not just with others, but also with the self, you know, that it's, you can get to a great place with yourself, but you still have to continue that work and relationships period are work, even if they're healthy. So why are we so afraid of this work? We see it as somehow a sign of weakness in the relationship. Mm, that's so interesting. Um, I think you're right. Sometimes we see it as weakness. The way I look at it is that, uh, to put it a kind of blunt way, it's about good at getting good at something you care a lot about, like getting mm-hmm. good at dealing with your own thoughts and feelings. Matters tons. Think of all the stuff we get good at. Who knows what? Like our golf game or, you know. How Never that for little... me. But yeah, I nor me, you. nor me. <laughs> no, not me. But like, um, you know, using a Excel on our computer or running a meeting or, you know, some new update to your phone. Um, those things are okay. But what really matters most is getting good at our relationships, getting mm-hmm. good at including our relationship with ourselves. And so for me, the way I frame it is in a very normal way. Well, of course, you'd want to get good at or better at the stuff that really matters most to you. So when you shift that way of looking at it, it becomes very normal. You start realizing, oh, things happen due to causes and conditions. I mean, that's the teaching both of the quantum physicists and the Buddha, right? 2,500 years ago, stuff happens because due to causes. Well, what are the causes of conflicts with other people? What are the causes of, you know, being hungry for reassurance and somehow mm-hmm. never feeling satisfied. What are the causes? And that means that we can do things to change those causes. And yes. I th- I w- I'll be blunt here. Um, you know, I've been a therapist all- longer than I've been married, actually, which is saying something uh-huh. in different kinds of ways. It's made me more compassionate and it's made me, I don't know, tougher minded. What I mean by that is that there's no replacement for effort. Mm. I'm not saying that to get on people's case. It, it's understandable. 
that we feel helpless, powerless, immobilized, frozen. We don't know what to do. It's understandable, right? But after the storm passes a little bit, after the shock wears off a little bit, it's really important to kind of dust ourselves off, get on our own side, right? um, and ask ourselves, okay, this hurts. What am I going to do? This sucks. Yeah. What am I going to do? And mm -hmm. that that attitude of what am I going to do um, and getting on your own side is really, really helpful. And it took me a while to realize that it's not present for many people, that fundamental attitude of kindness and supportiveness and encouragement toward yourself. And, you know, that's really something that's so important to grow. And it's really important if you are a person, you know, perhaps a woman mm -hmm. who's had that sort of trained out of you to reclaim mm -hmm. it, to reclaim it for yourself that you matter and it's okay to get on your own side. Amen. Ugh. I just want to like highlight and underscore everything that you're saying. And I have mm. two questions left for you. Again, I could talk to you for the rest of my life, probably. Vice versa. What a pleasure. in Alabama. You know? Oh yeah, my I, gosh. I, it's so good. So I, I've never had a therapy session on the air, which is simultaneously <laughs> vulnerable and totally awesome because I did not have to pay for that. So that is, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. But, um, you know, sometimes we have to do what you call in the book, resizing the relationship. Oh yeah either drawing boundaries or sometimes even ending a relationship. So yeah. what are some key signs that it's time to do that? Well, that's a, such an important thing. So um, so let's say we start out with somebody, we meet them, they seem really neat, it's all good, maybe romantically, maybe not. And then something happens. You know, they uh, have three glasses of wine and they get kind of weird. Mm -hmm. Or uh you realize that as soon as you talk about politics wow it's just not going to go to a good place at all or any other topic like vaccines or stuff like that mm -hmm. okay or maybe you loan them some money 20 dollars but they just keep forgetting to pay you back or they're endlessly late for any, anything to do with you and you start to realize okay i'm going to take a step back here and i'm maybe going to carve out a part of our, what our relationship used to be, like talking about politics or, you know, borrowing money. And I'm just not going to go there again. I'm going to disengage from that. I'm going to kind of carve that out. And you have the right to do that yourself. And it's really useful. This has been for me one of the top five probably useful things where I suddenly start to realize, okay, I'm, I'm not going to keep trying to get blood from a stone here. I'm just mm -hmm. going to disengage from that part of the relationship. We, we might be friends, we're not gonna be soulmates. Or maybe we're friends who have lunch twice a year, and that's about the scale of it. Uh, or maybe I'm gonna go visit them for the holidays, but I'm gonna rent my car, I'm gonna rent a car locally and stay at a motel nearby. You know, that's how we're gonna do it. See what I mean? And in so doing, actually, you can preserve the relationship, mm -hmm. but at a size that's based on it's actual foundations in reality. That's so and, good. That's yeah, so and, good. And sometimes you're stuck in certain situations. Like let's say you're caring for an aging parent or something else is going on. You can't resize the relationship out in the world, but inside your mind. Oh, inside that's your good mind. Too. Yeah. yeah. You could take a really big step back. Um, one thing I did with my mother, uh, who was a loving person with one of those big personalities who, mm -hmm. who that expressed her love a lot by trying to improve the people around herself, 
right? She was trying to make oh. them better. <laughs> I know and, some of those too. <laughs> right, that, I've got that a, was very kind how you worded that, by the way. She expressed <laughs> her love by trying to change everything about me. <laughs> yeah, trying to improve other people. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and it's true. Much kinder than I did, yes. <laughs> okay. So, you know, I was a rebellious independent. I still am, actually. And, uh, you know, I would get contentious with her and quarrelsome and angry about it. And I finally realized, wait a second, Rick, behind that annoying, but well-intended advice, but annoying, was a huge heart. And I just started ignoring the advice. So I resized it in that sense. I just disengaged from arguing with her about her advice. And I just kept focusing on and responding to the big, warm, loving heart in her behind it all. It was a little bit like uh, looking through a screen of like a latticework of tangled vines with thorns and prickles and everything to a warm, cozy campfire on the other side. And I just started ignoring the thorns and the prickles and warmed myself at the fire uh, of my mother's, um, you know, unshakable love for me. That That's another example of resizing a relationship. This is why you wrote this book and are the expert, but this is so hard. <laughs> like it is so hard <laughs> to do that. Like and it's, I mean, how many, I'm just sitting over here thinking like not to continually park on romantic relationships, but yeah. how many times have I given the man, like, you know, a, he was in my heart, he was an eight, but he really only deserved to be a three because he wasn't really treating me that well or whatever. And, yeah. you know, I needed to, to, to oh, yes, it's just, it's so good, but it's so hard to do, especially when it's like your parents and um, your yeah. siblings and, you know, it's just, that, that's why you wrote this book and I did not, but we have, well, we have a lot to learn from you. We have a lot uh, well, it is, it is hard. And what's helpful too, in a funny way is to follow, um, follow what feels good mm-hmm. in, in a healthy yeah. sense. Yeah. yeah. And like what I realized is that, oh, fighting with my mom about her annoying advice about how we ought to raise our kids. Oh, um, that's tough. Yeah, that's no fun. That was no fun. But chilling about that, disengaging from the quarrel and zeroing in on the fact that she just loves me. She just loves me. And kind of tuning out the rest. That sure felt a lot better. Or, you know, there you are with somebody who, you know, they kind of sort of like you, but they don't think you're awesome. You know, honestly, I'm thinking I... I could write a book. It would be a very short book on dating and mating. And, um, you know, one of the three aspects of it basically are intention, psychology and marketing, you know, and on the both psychology and marketing side, you know, after 20 minutes, if they don't think you're awesome, they probably never will. Ooh, that's powerful. Once in a while, people come around. But if you don't get that feeling like you are awesome, Rachel, you are. And so are you, you. we're reassuring each other over here, but it's true. That's right. I'm going to take it in. But anyway, yeah, (laughs) you know, honestly, if they don't dig you a bunch, you know, it's like they're disqualified, which is an interesting way to reframe it. It's, you know, they are sparing you the trouble of chasing them and trying to get blood from that stone forever. Oh, you know, they're DQ, DQ, disqualified. They don't think you're awesome. Yeah. I, well, and it's true because you should never have to convince someone to love you to stay in your life. They yeah. sh- if they can't see the inha- I, twenty minutes is is uh, that's that's pretty quick time frame for me. Yeah. To well, yeah, for the ultimate, to, you know, ask you to marry them and all the rest <laughs> of that. Sure, but you know, let's see, you, you're dating, you know, you're just having coffee with somebody. You know, if you don't start syncing up with people pretty quickly, you probably never will. 
That's so good. And you should never have to convince someone, especially, you know, years down the road to, to see your amazingness. Oh, that's so good. I I want to be respectful of your time and the listeners. time. This is so good. This is, this is, this is seriously life-changing stuff, but I want, I always ask my guests this final question. And I I think I always love to hear what authors say to this question. Mm. And that my last question for you is what do you ultimately hope readers get from making great relationships? What do you hope they take away? Yeah. Wow. Well, I hope really that people around the world slow down to recognize that there's a being behind the eyes of the other person who's passing by them on the street or disagreeing with them politically or um, being on the receiving end of the missiles they launch. There are beings over there who feel things just as keenly as we do ourselves, who Mm. want to be happy, who are afraid for their children, who long for love, just like ourselves. And it does not mean to give up our lives for them, but to live in a way that we stay in touch with the realness, the intimacy of the other person over there. We can protect ourselves, we can stand up for ourselves, you know, we can resize the relationship as needed while never necessarily putting somebody out of our heart. We may need to put them out of our political offices, we may need to put them out of our country, we may need to put them out of our bed or out of our business, but mm-hmm. deep down inside, we can still wish them well even if we also think that you know justice should be served so that to me is something that i really hope does happen in the world and paradoxically as we get better at taking good care of ourselves and as we get better at setting our boundaries and you know standing up for our rights and healing the deeper layers inside ourselves as we get better with that we then become more patient with other people we become more generous, mm-hmm. we become easier to deal with, we become more cooperative, we become more loving and altruistic. So it actually helps others and it helps build a better world to do the practices you know, that we've been talking about in this book that actually make great relationships. I mean, listeners, look, if you didn't get something from that conversation, I don't know where you were this past hour. And also, this is only about, uh, seriously, one-tenth th- one of, uh, of the content in, in the book. It is such a good book. This was such a great conversation, selfishly and selflessly. Uh, so good. And, and it's just so applicable to all of us because we are all in relationships, if not with others, then with ourselves. The book true. is Making Great Relationships, Simple Practice practices for solving conflicts, building connection and fostering love. It is out January 17th. My goodness. Thank you so much for being here today. I will take the nuggets from this conversation with me all through 2023 and the rest of my life too. Thank you so much. Oh, Rachel, you're super kind and really you're awesome period. And you're awesome at this. This is absolutely hands down one of the best ever. ever Thank you. you. Please read this book, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. My goodness. There is so much good there in this episode. Thank you so much again, Dr. Hansen. The book has been out for a few days now and you'll want this on your bookshelf listeners, I promise you. It is called Making Great Relationships, Simple Practices for Solving Conflicts, Building Connection and Fostering Love. It's a must for anyone who wants better relationships and I am proof that the work is working here. 
is actually what I'm dubbing Relationships Week on I'd Rather Be Reading, so get excited. Stick around for another chat about dating selfishly. Yes, I did say selfishly, not selflessly. Later this week, another great chat, another conversation you won't want to miss. Until then, have a great week.